Hello, and welcome to Portraits of Grief Podcasts. Your host today, and always, Tiffany Bernal and licensed clinical social worker, Tara Storm. Together, we are a griever and a therapist who make up Portraits of Grief podcast and community. So thanks for tuning in, and here we go. Hello and welcome back to Portraits of Grief podcast. We are here today with another recording. I believe we are on episode 16. And today we have another special guest joining us, uh, Andy McCall. Andy, thank you for joining us today. Um, Before we chat a little bit more, I always like to start off and introduce you. So here we go, a little bit more about you. You found us on Instagram, you reached out. Andy, you are a father of three from Greenville, Tennessee. You and your wife, Ellen, are parents to twins, Scout and Maisie, and your first daughter, Penelope, who died right before her second birthday to cancer. Andy, you are a teacher and former high school football coach. Penelope's story is what brought you to the grief world, as she had a very medically fragile life, but you did not let her diagnosis be her definition. Andy, you are an internationally published author of Pigtails and Steel, which can be found on Amazon, which brought you back to St. Jude to be a part of their quality of life steering council and as a bereaved parent advisor. You recently have helped start a bereaved dad support group called Dads of Steel Grief Support, which is part of the Greater Dads of Steel nonprofit organization out of Chicago. Their mission is to let men who have lost a child know they are not alone and are for dads by dads. That is beautiful there. So thank you, Andy, for, um, you know, taking the vulnerability and the time to be here and talk to us today. No, thank you all. You know, I'm honored to be here. And, you know, anytime I can talk and, and be Penelope's dad again, you know, that's Absolutely. really special to me. And turn a little bit of this pain into some purpose and help dads that have gone through what I have. Well said. Yeah. On that. So Andy, we usually have guests, if you can share about your, your grief journey. Let's start there. I definitely, we're interested in hearing more about the work you do with St. Jude and the dads of steel network. But if you can, you know, walk us back and share with us about um, your, your journey with sweet Penelope. Yeah. Well, you know, Penelope was our first daughter. Uh, she was our first try at being parents. And, you know, she's the one that made me a dad. And you know, from the get go, she had a lot of uh, neurological disorders. And, you know, I could go down the list of the, the medical diagnosis she had. But, you know, that was just part of her. That's not, you know, what I what we want her to be remembered for. And, you know, right before her second birthday, um, that's when we found out she had stage four cancer. She had a brain tumor and we didn't have very long because it was very aggressive. So when they found it, we went down to St. Jude and then she passed away pretty quickly after that. And, you know, so it was, it was a wild ride for her, you know, less than two years she was on this earth, but, you know, being able to do things like this and tell our story and tell my grief journey, you know, that keeps her name alive. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's all I can be thankful for. And, you know, I didn't always handle it right. I, you know, I'm the first to say as, as a man, you know, I didn't talk about it. I had no idea what actively grieving even meant. And I, you know, really, I didn't have an idea what grief was because mm-hmm. before, you know, Penelope died, you know, I really didn't have a lot of loss other than, you know, a grandparent here or there that, that most people experience. So I didn't have any large traumatic experiences. So it was all new to me, all the things I was doing. And one of my outlets, I noticed I wasn't handling it well. I started writing. And, you know, I wrote my thoughts down and that's what turned into pigtails and steal my book. It was a little blog and, you know, I had a little following on Facebook and we grew from there and published that. And one thing I've, I've never read my book, I've never read, I just wrote and that's how I got it out of my head and dealt with it. And, you know, so I hope that whatever's in there can help you know, somebody that's going through that or even family members that are, you know, seeing another man go through that loss, maybe something resonates with them in there. And that took us back to St. Jude uh, a couple years later after Penelope died. And they have been amazing in the support system that St. Jude provides us uh, as bereaved parents is, is really heartwarming. And it makes you feel like, you know, once a St. Jude parent, always a St. Jude parent and no matter the loss or not. And, 
being able to see it from this side and, and help the hospital direct some of the new things that are happening and, and facilitate that communication with new parents, parents going through the end of life scenarios, you know, is as much as it helps them, it helps me in my, in my journey and what I get to do. And my wife, to, you know, she does uh, some things with St. Jude too. So we get to do that as a family. We get to be Penelope's mom and dad together again, as well as Scout and Maisie's, you know, every day. So, uh, but I still was missing a piece and, you know, I was still, okay, I'm around this, we're talking about it, you know, but I was missing a piece and I found um, Dave Steele through a Google search. I think I was searching pigtails and steel actually. You know, you, you Google yourself every now and then, you gotta, gotta see that. And I was seeing, um, I saw Dads of Steel and I scrolled down on their page and saw where he had lost his daughter, um, Aubrey Violet. And they used purple and we used purple for Penelope. It was like it was meant to be and reached out to him. Um, and it's sort of a whirlwind from there. You know, we met the, these guys that meet on Sunday mornings and now we're a group and trying to take this thing forward and let men know that, you know, you're not alone, man. You know, we feel like we're alone as men, but you know, you're not, and we're there when you need us. Like, so I'm curious, um, can you really expand on the, the details of what it's like to be a man and maybe give some personal stories of maybe where you felt isolated or alone just purely by your sex with the situation? Right. You know, we're by nature, you know, we're, we're caregivers and we're you know, providers. I'm supposed, to, I'm providers. I'm supposed to take care of things, you know? So, you know, when Penelope passed away in the summer, you know, I'm a teacher and I was a football coach at the time, you know, I really wasn't in school. So I had a little bit of time, but I still needed to go back to work. And I was like, okay, she passed away. I had a couple of weeks there and I went back to work and I had these feelings. Like I was thinking about her first thing when I woke up, I thought about her when I went to school and did something, you know, her pictures were there and I was thinking about all these things, but I never talked about them with anybody really other than Ellen, my wife. And really, even then, you know, she was dealing with her things. I was trying to be strong for her, but then I felt like I couldn't because I was still dealing with all this inside of me. And, you know, as men, I think we try to, we try to stay busy. We, we, we want it to be linear. We want this healing to be linear. Like, okay, I'm hurting right now. I need to wake up tomorrow. I need to wake up next month and I, I need to be okay because I've got all these things to do. And I didn't realize that it wasn't like that. You know, I was, up, I was up, down, I was mad, sad, you know, some people call it the, the five stages of grief still. Some people talk about the circles, the waves, the seasons, you know, I was feeling all that before breakfast, mm -hmm. you know, I would wake up and, you know, I just felt lost because I didn't know what I was feeling. So however it came out, whether that was good, bad or otherwise, for me is just how that came out. And until I realized that that was part of grief. Um, it, it wasn't always great. You know, as a man, I, I tried to stay busy. Of course, I was doing this and doing that. And I was always gone. I was kept saying yes to more projects because I thought that would fill wow. that time when really I was filling my time. But the second I was done, Flood. That, there it is again, hmm. you know, so, was it, was it modeled to you to be that way from your own father or a, a father figure in your life my dad my dad's my everything and i say i'm a product of my raising and, and my dad always put family first and everything he did it was, it was always about our family and but he was just like any good true southern dad you know he was strong and i didn't really see him cry mm. and i really didn't see him you know show a lot of emotion here and there you know a couple times i remember it but you know so that's how I needed to be. I needed to be strong. I didn't, I needed to take care of things. Like I said, a provider, a caregiver. I mean, that's what, and society, you know, tells our young men, rub some dirt on it, yeah. you know, keep going. And, you know, I was a college, you know, I was a college football player. You didn't show emotion. You, you just kept going and kept going through it. So that my entire life of being an athlete and, you know, how we were raised, you know, we didn't, we didn't do that. And until I did, until I realized how good it felt to 
get that out and, you know, cry when I needed to. And when I felt it, instead of keep pushing it down, that's when I started healing was when I did that. I mean, we could stop right now just with that message alone. Like that is so powerful because so many people think if I just squelch it down and eventually in time it will go away. Um, but that, I mean, I would almost think that if you didn't take a turn and start expressing, this could have affected your marriage. I mean, I don't know. If- oh, it, I mean, it could affect everything. I mean, I can tell you, I've made bad decisions here, there. And, you know, we talk a lot in our, our Dad's a Steel group about how we would get mad over little things when we didn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And then how we would react to things. And then you look back and, of course, you say, I'm sorry. But you're like, why did I even do that? And I didn't realize that that was part of me bottling all that up. Mm-hmm. You know, I would work all day. I would go to practice. I would. You were a pressure do, cooker. Right. I mean, you just, like you said, you keep pushing that down and you're like, oh, I'm okay. I'm not thinking about, you know, Penelope right now. But everything I did, I was thinking about her. I was reliving that day over and over and over because, you know, we talk about that caregiver and provider, you know, I lost, I couldn't, I couldn't help her. I couldn't cure my little girl. I couldn't take care of my little girl. And that's what bothered me the most. So I just tried to fill up all those time, all that thought process of stay busy. You don't think about it, but obviously that was not right at all. You you lost Penelope, but you also lost your role as a new dad. You lost your role as a caretaker. Um, It sounds like there's a lot of loss. In addition, you know, there's loss of probably, you know, traditions or, you know, just a lot of identity, would you say? It's, oh, definitely. I mean, you, the first question you ask yourself is, am I still a dad? Oh. I mean, I sat there and said, what do I tell people? I mean, you know, the question we all worry about when you lose a child is, how do you answer how many children do you have? And as a dad, like, I thought about that question all the time and I didn't sometimes you know I would answer it different ways different times and it was like it never felt right because I never knew how to answer it and like you said you lose that identity you know you lose your future because what do you think you know when you have this precious little baby girl I'm thinking about her growing up and playing and wearing dresses and going to school and holding my hand and, and all these things a dad wants to do with his little girl and when she, you know, when she died, all those hopes and dreams did too. Mm-hmm. So there's the relationship, there's Penelope, there's your identity. Then I'm hearing a huge chunk of your future you lost as well. I mean, that's just loss on all sides. Um, oh, everywhere. It's like, and that's what, you know, those are those, those are those thoughts and emotions you kept pressing down because as something else would arise, you're like, no, I'm not thinking about that right now. And you just pr- keep pressing that down and you don't talk to, you don't talk to anybody about it. You don't, you know, I couldn't talk to my friends who still had kids because I was, you know, dealing with having to watch them with their little, their girls that are the same age. And I couldn't go to birthday parties. Like I couldn't even, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm an elementary school teacher. I teach, I teach second grade. And I'll tell you the one thing that, that triggers me still to this day is picture day. You know, you see all those kids all dressed up and, and, you know, until we had the twins, you know, I didn't have that anymore. And I had to watch all these parents get their kids. And it's like, you know, those little occurrences all the time happen, at the, especially at the first. Because like you said, this new normal, we don't know what this new normal is. And everything has changed. Your whole thought process changes, especially as a dad, because like you said, you're supposed to take care of them. And, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything about it. What a helpless feeling. And um, I, I would imagine that this is how I would probably be, but like just my tolerance for other people's complaining or, you know, the, the tolerance for, for other people's um, sweating the small stuff type things, or even if people don't appreciate their children, like that would probably be really rough. <laughs> Very. The little things, I mean, you, yeah. It's all it's all those those moments, you know, that I notice, like you said, you know, a little kid saying daddy, daddy, daddy. And then somebody turned mm. around and getting mad, like, mm. you know, you know, just 
whatever the situation is, not that they meant it bad at all. Right, but of course. Here's me sitting over here just wishing I could hear her say daddy one time and I'll Oof. never get that from Penelope. And yeah, and this whoever is sitting over here mad that his kid just said daddy, you know, over and over. I mean, it just it's like that little knife that just just turns in you just a little bit each time and brings up like you said, it brings up everything you've suppressed because I never got it out. So all those just kept building, building, building. How have you and your uh, your wife grieved differently? Have were there big differences or? Uh, you know, where she was at home, so my wife was a nurse and, you know, Penelope having a lot of special needs and things, you know, she was at home. So Penelope was her 24 seven. And when Penelope died, you know, she lost her everything. Yeah. She lost her 24 seven. And I, I got out a little bit more at the beginning, you know, I think handling it was, you know, she kept a lot of things in where I was trying to go out and stay busy where she was staying in and, you know, that caused conflict because I was like, well, let's go out here and try this. And then when she didn't want to or vice versa, you know, she might have wanted to do something. And I was like, nope, not doing that today. You know, that caused a lot of friction, I think, because we were usually very, very good at communicating. And I think when we didn't, just because we didn't know, you know, we didn't know what to do at certain times. And once we, you know, got to the point where we're like, hey, we've got to talk about this. We've got to get better at this and we started that communication and telling each other hey i need five minutes you know we didn't do that for a long time i didn't you know i was i would just get all heated and go go find something else to do where she just really needed me to sit there and you know and i learned as a husband that's what she needed from me but i wasn't asking those questions because i was still trying to deal with it myself you know i thought i was being there for her and i really wasn't mm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was hard. That was hard to realize that I wasn't being that husband that she needed to be until, you know, it, it hits that hits that point. <laughs> sure. Was there uh, Penelope? I, bl- I read your bio passed in uh, passed away in 2016. You said? Mm-hmm. So was there I'm just curious, was there I mean, now you're involved in Dads of Steel and you're an advocate with St. Jude's to help other parents. Was there sort of a turning point when you said, OK, you know, we have to get support ourselves and kind of move forward, move on and start to heal? I'm I'm curious about that for you. Yeah, I think it was, you know, it really, like I said, it, it sort of came from my book. You know, we, we published that in I think it was 2017, you know, after and that sort of forced me to be out there and talk with some people. Mm-hmm. And it was really good because, you know, Ellen supported me 100%. She, you know, I had two um, of my former teachers and amazing women who did my editing for me. And Ellen, you know, took their edits and, you know, plugged it back in there, you know, sit, sitting up late at night doing that for me. And she was there. So we sort of bonded back over that as she was supporting me, putting myself out there and, once that sort of rolled out and St. Jude reached back out, um, Dr. Lisa Clark, who was, who was an amazing person. And she said, you know, what do you think about coming back and maybe working with this program? And, you know, little by little. And, you know, a couple of years, you know, 2017, 18 is when we started talking about that. So it took us a year or so to really put ourselves back out there, you know, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Right talk with anybody about it but man once I did it's like you know it I realized you know I was helping somebody else make their path a little bit broader but every time I got to do that I got to be Penelope's dad again and my path got a little bit broader as we kept going are you I mean I want to say this is kind of like uh, typical for men but do you think that in the past or maybe even still now you're like a fixer like if there's something that's there's a problem you want to fix it oh definitely like if i see it's hard to say no like or it's hard to you know when i do any any of this or if i see a family or somebody says hey do you care to reach out my first like no is not even in my vocabulary because i'm like man if i can make something better for that person you know maybe it's a story that i went through or maybe we can connect at some point you know that, that, that fills my heart as much as it does anything. And like, I know that feeling and how much better I feel when I do that. So, you know, I think even more than I did, 
because I realize those moments are, you know, special to somebody maybe at the end of life or even after, you know, their child has passed, I know exactly what they're missing. And I, you know, helping somebody through that, especially another man that where we typically don't have help and we're trying to navigate this alone, you know, I would, I would classify myself as a fixer for sure. Do you notice, and maybe I'm just curious, do you think, has anyone come to you and said, okay, what's the magic formula? Like, give me the, like, they want tangible tools and answers to get from A to B. Uh, Yeah, we had a few, and, you know, especially as we talk in these small groups and, you know, meeting new people, they're like, you know, what's worked for you? And that's the bad answer is it's different for everybody. You know, this grief journey is different for every single person because you don't know, you know, what all's being added to it. But, you know, that common thread I try to tell people is I just listen because as a man, sometimes you just got to get it out. And, you know, and, and usually at some point in that conversation, I hear something, I'm like, we connect. I know exactly how you feel. And then there we go. You know, so I think as a, as a man, it's just giving that safe place to talk. And, you know, where, you know, sometimes I didn't really want to talk to a therapist first and I especially, you know, not, not being, you know, out there, but I didn't want to talk to a woman at all. And it really was, just, I didn't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. As a man, I didn't feel comfortable letting my guard down to some, you know, a lady that I didn't know, whether she was the greatest psychologist or therapist or anything in the world. I still just didn't feel right. Absolutely. But, but when I went to St. Jude and I found another um, dad, his name's Dean. I, I call him Super Dean because he's like my, I don't know, we were meant to be. You know, he lost his daughter and he loved her as much as I love Penelope and when we talked, it was like nobody else was in the room. And I was mm. like, he gets it. I was like, this man gets me. Mm. And I, I just, you know, to that point, I'd never had Connection. had anybody like that. Right. Right. Well, you felt understood, not that you were paying someone for them to listen. Like, you're like, I could find that anywhere. I want someone right. who really understands and right. is in just, my shoes. And, and he wanted to. You know, he didn't, he didn't need to hear my story, but he wanted to because he's like, oh, this dad, you know, that's hard to find somebody that wants to hear your story. And that's who I want to be for all these dads. You know, if there's a dad out there in the the world just listening, like, man, you know, does this guy really want to hear? Yeah, I want to hear about your son, your daughter, your, your whoever, because, you know, I get to be part of their story then. And, and that's hard to find, especially as a man, because, yeah. We don't talk about it. So how do people find you? You know, you know we started on Instagram. So our Instagram is a, is a big place and we have a link that has a, a Google contact form, you know, so like, again, it's hard for a, it's hard for a man to hit follow. Like who really wants to open up their, you know, Instagram feed when they're done from work and see things about grief. So, you know, we have that Google contact form where maybe a wife or even the husband, you know, father himself, he says, hey, man, here's my email. If you have anything, send it to me. And, you know, we found we've had a couple people reach out that way that have been, you know, it's non-threatening and it's not like they, you know, have to talk to me one on one, you know, the very first thing. But I can send them something that we do and they might find something that resonates with them. So do you? Oh, I'm sorry. Blah, blah, blah. We all have raising our hands questions. Well, so, okay, so your Instagram is Dads of Steel, the grief support through the nonprofit, which is, you know, I want to talk more about that um, because there very well may be other dads listening who need that right now. But I'm also curious, as a bereaved parent advisor with St. Jude's, can you share a little bit more about what that role is for you? And maybe if you have any words of wisdom right now for potential parents listening who might be going through it or... If you're able yeah, to share. so, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, so, you know, part of my role, you know, I started out in the Stay in Touch program, which um, after four to six months of losing your child, um, St. Jude will have parents like me, you know, an, another bereaved parent reach out to the bereaved parents and, you know, through a text, through an email, through a call, just to, you know, check in and say, hey, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything. I'm here if you need me or if you need something from St. Jude. And just to let them know that even though their child, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't part of that 80% that, you know, St. Jude still remembers them. So, you know, I started through that and there's just that constant contact. Like I said, saying, 
you know, what Dr. Baker and Dr. Clark have, have built there is, is amazing. And so I joined the uh, Quality of Life Steering Council, which we are a part of some of the decision-making processes and the things that are going on in the hospital, they will run some of the things past us. So they'll say, you know, we're thinking about this program or this way of doing it. You know, how does that look to an, a bereaved parent? So before it gets to the parents who are actually, you know, in this realm and dealing with this at the moment, you know, we can give some insight and say, hey, this is really, really awesome, or you might want to say it this way. And which also goes to the communication aspect is we work with a lot of the different programs and a lot of the fellows and have those hard talks and have those different kinds of communications and giving that, you know, that we call it the last talk or giving it that, that hard speech of, you know, they can't cure your daughter or your son and they get to practice with us and feel more comfortable so that when they get into those situations, they feel confident and they're the best they can be for that parent at that moment. So, you know, I can give a little insight saying, Hey man, you know, how you did that was awesome. Or won't you try it like this? And, you know, St. Jude facilitates all that. And, and it, it is amazing that's, to be. That's impressive that they go to that length to mm-hmm. honor and, and to be present. And, and it's impressive that you, could be in that role as well. Right. That's I mean, amazing. They, they ask us all the time, you know, are you okay? And we're like, I would do this all day, every day. If I, because knowing that that doctor is getting ready to go into that patient's oh. room wow. and seeing, seeing a man like me holding his daughter's hand, scared to death and having to hear that news, knowing that they're confident to go back in there and, and do that. And they're going to be the best they can be at that moment for that, um, child and those parents man that's i mean to me if i never did anything else and that was the little piece that i did then you know that's it right there that's the good stuff you know as a parent and and like i said it makes that knowing that that parent has the best chance and is getting the best information from a doctor that feels you know confident in what they're doing and and helping them is is tremendous and you know, being able to sit on panels and have doctors, you know, ask us because really where does a, you know, a fellow, a doctor, a nurse, anybody, child life specialist, where do they really get to talk to bereaved parents? Not a lot of places. So anytime we, you know, they have an offering that any of the nurses and things get to come to, well, you know, they, they invite one of us or maybe, you know, a few of us and we get to be part of those conversations. And usually it turns into them asking us a whole lot of questions and taking over because there's a lot of people wonder about death. People wonder about grief. And especially me, when I get on there, I have to tell them to ask some of the other people because they, they want to ask the dad. They actually have a dad that wants to talk about it. And but how powerful is that, that they get they get those questions answered in a place that I feel comfortable, they feel comfortable, and, you know, they can take that back to their practice and, and make it better for somebody else. So so that's what we do at St. Jude, and, you know, just being able to be part of that. COVID slowed us down a little bit, but, you know, we still kept up on Zoom and being able to be part of some of their online offerings. And, you know, as they moved to St. Jude Global, you know, I've been able to talk with some some doctors from Brazil and Argentina and, still have some contacts in India. And I mean, those, those doctors are amazing and what they're, because St. Jude shares everything, you know, like I said, we're there to share anything we can with everybody. You know, the, in the work that I do with people, there's, there's grief, but what often comes up in the story that they share with me is the moment they receive the news, that traumatic moment, when it was delivered to them and they remember the smells, this, where they were standing, the scenery, um, that moment is so crucial. And I'm just, I'm impressed. And I hope that this is multiplied across the world that this, this situation happens, but I don't think it does. I don't think many people are in your position or doctors seek it out. Right. I mean, they, I, I can tell you everything that happened. And, you know, there are some hospitals in New York right now and in Texas that are that are coming to St. Jude to to duplicate this process. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, St. Jude is here to 
give this to anybody and everybody and, and help anybody in that palliative care scene. And yeah, I can tell you everything that Dr. A did when he walked in to the time he gave us to the pauses to when he, when he held Penelope's hand, you know, as a dad, it's like everything was going a hundred miles an hour, but it was all frozen too. Like you said, I remember everything about that moment that they told us that. And your, your body might remember it before your head does. Your body might remember that moment as an anniversary for the rest of your life. Where you're like, why do I feel, why? Cause maybe the same feelings will, I don't know if you've experienced that. Oh, I have. Yeah. I can, I know when those days are coming up and I don't, you know, subconsciously, mm-hmm. I just, I just know, I, I just know when it's, when it is not, then I'll look at the calendar and be like, Oh, it's that oh, season. There it is. The yeah. anniversary. Do you and your yeah. wife and your family uh, do anything special to honor Penelope every year on her birthday we, or her death anniversary? We, or Yeah, we've, uh, we learned from a friend um, that we met while we were in clinic um, at St. Jude and Lauren and her, her son. And they did a little celebration and they, they called it like uh, Caleb's five or six. So we started doing a uh, P5 and a P6 for her sixth birthday and make it turn it into a celebration and trying to do some random acts of kindness rather than thinking about, you know, we have those dark times, you know, I wake up and we, it's not all roses and rainbows by any means, but we try to fill that day with, you know, different acts of kindness or do things in fives or do things in sixes or, you know, whatever it might be for that day. And then people share it on Facebook and, you know, just to see someone in, you know, California where you are, you know, holding up six purple flowers and, you know, just saying Penelope antagonist in that is, is pretty incredible. And just, you know, for a small portion of the day, Penelope's remembered and she's there in all these different communities, you know, that's what we want her to be remembered for. And that is something that, you know, we've, it took us a a while, you know, the first one we, you know, we spent it alone up on the mountains and, you know, and then we were like, you know what, we need to celebrate our little girl and we need to keep her name out there and keep her going. And, you know, thankful to having those families that do some of these things you learn from these other families. And, you know, we, we've now celebrated everybody, everything. So we'll see what's coming up this July for her birthday. So when, so P7 will be, it'll be P7. What day? uh, So it was uh, 7, 11, 14 was her birthday. So when you say, I could remember it easily because it was 7, 11. Right. Right. I'm not the the best with dates, but I can remember (laughs) that. So, you know, she passed away sick. Um, June 9th so 6-9 and you know we we tend to take that day to ourselves and you know try to just you know get through that day but her birthday definitely is the one we celebrate and try to bring some joy to the world for just a little bit well tell us a little bit about her personality what was she tell us about Penelope you know she I start smiling you know I know they can't see me on the podcast I start smiling every time I think about her you know she you know, she was special needs and she was delayed and, and she couldn't, you know, communicate like a normal, you know, a typical child. And the seizures took a lot of that away um, from her, but she had her own little thing and, you know, she loved the wind in her hair and she loved her little mini Mouses and her unicorns. You could just see her, you know, she would be fixated on those and it would just, um, be her thing and it was you know she, you could tell she knew everything that was going on around her and she, once we learned her little you know her little quirks and things like that that uh it was it was amazing to see her little personality pop up every now and then and you know because of the seizures and things she did have to take a lot of medicines and and we switched from pharmaceuticals to cbd and and treated her uh seizures like that for a while and it brought her out of a lot of things so that was neat but you know we we didn't let it hamper her down you know we we took her to see my wife's family in um, montana and she hiked to the top of with us at logan pass wow. and so we were on top of the world with her and flew on airplanes and you know she was the best little traveler and companion you could ask for because she just she loved her little world you know wherever we were that was her world and she was happy in it so mm-hmm. Taught she me like a lot. 
And she like purple, you said? That was her favorite. Yeah, yeah purple. You know, we were, I, I definitely was not a purple and pink person <laughs> before. Uh, now you are, huh? <laughs> yeah, now I purple everything. You know, I said yeah. I have purple and purple and tattoos and purple and clothes and it's like you know you probably every see, time you feel I, purple everywhere too do you see purple a lot just pop yeah up you know and, yeah it, it does you know purple's a color you don't see everywhere but you notice it mm-hmm. you know when you see purple it's like it just stands out a little bit and i feel like you know since we started doing that with her i just see it all the time in those places and you know it's a little reminder whether that's you know everybody believes in their own things with signs and stuff like that and but I believe she's around us and lets me notice things. It might not be a sign, but it it's her way of telling me to be in the moment and, you know, realize everything that's going on. Cause like I said, her little world was her thing. And sometimes we get lost in that big fog of the world. Mm-hmm. So it brings me down a little bit. Like she was content with the moment. And so it's like a reminder for you to be right there in the present moment and not right. in the future or in the past. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, we work her whole world. You know, because like I said, you know, not being typical and not being able to to do a lot of things a normal, you know, one and a half year old, two year old could have done. And but what she was doing, she loved it. You know, she'd kick, she'd play with her feet. She'd do all these things. And, you know, she was as happy as can be during those times. Even when we were in the hospital in bad situations, there she was. She'd she'd give us a little smile and let us know it's okay. Little trooper. Did um, I'm. I'm if you're comfortable sharing your emotional thoughts or journey around the twins, like finding out your wife is pregnant, like that whole journey, what was, what emotions came up for you with that? A lot. I mean, you know, like I said, it was, uh, Penelope was our first try. So we, we, we had to do things through IVF. So everything was planned and we knew, you know, we had Penelope our very first trial. We lost a couple in between as we tried again. Mm. And the twin, the twins were actually our last trial. They were mm. our last two. And so it was like, everything was riding on that. And you put your hopes and dreams into that. And, you know, I was so excited to, like we said, be a dad again, you know, I was so excited for that, but grief puts that sort of, shadow i don't want to say it's a black cloud over everything because we had some really happy moments and but it always puts that little little shadow of doubt like you know are they going to have some of the same issues or is something going to happen you know we we couldn't we couldn't really just be happy and you know not that my wife was happy and pregnant because you know she's they're born july 31st so the summer you know being very pregnant with twins during the summer was not exactly comfortable comfortable or fun you know i don't know what it feels like but i can imagine but it was it was a happy time but it was still had that shadow of what if you know and that's what grief does to us it it turns your mindset even when you want to be happy you still have that little uh you know i can't be 100 percent happy thank you for sharing that i think there's people listening that know exactly what you're yeah. what you're sharing and, and you feel bad like you you want to be like oh you know like I, you know, twins you know this is amazing but you still just like you know what if or like cautiously optimistic happen? yeah right mm-hmm. you know you don't want it's like you don't want to get too happy because i felt like i was setting myself up for something and ellen and i couldn't talk a lot about it because i didn't want to get her emotions up or if she wasn't thinking about it that day i didn't want to make her think about it if i was so we both, like you said, it's very cautiously optimistic is a good way to put it. Makes sense. And it's a boy and a girl? Boy and a girl. How old are the twins now? Uh, two and a half. They'll be three on July 31st. So okay. we're we're getting there and they're, I love them. They're amazing. I told them they're like caged hyenas. They're, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you never know what's going to happen. They smile all the time and they're beautiful and they're healthy. But man, you turn your back and you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> the twos. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And so, Andy, you've also, okay, so the Dads of Steel, it's a nonprofit, we'll, we'll segue a little bit, um, out of Chicago, but it's a national nonprofit. Like if other dads want to get involved, do you guys hold chapter meetings or how does that work? Can you share with our listeners? So, yeah. So, you know, Dads of Steel is a, 
you know, as a whole, Dave, and then the pres the president right now, Don Ranieri, um, it's there to promote, you know, fatherhood, courageous, committed, connected. You know, it's being good dads and setting a good example and doing all those things that, you know, promote what we as men need to be doing and highlighting that through Instagram and Facebook, you know, the social media accounts of look at these dads doing amazing, amazing things like, you know, Dave does Fit Dad Fridays and, you know, dads working out with their kids and so in a good, healthy lifestyle or, you know, some of, you know, reading to your kids and, you know, just highlighting those things. And they branched out a little bit to where, you know, Dads of Steel Grief Sports, the first umbrella of many that's that's coming. And, you know, just having, like you said, little pockets and maybe different places around the world because, uh, but right now, you know, the biggest thing is, is through social media is trying to connect all these dads, you know, showing these dads. We just, I think he just featured one from Hawaii, you know, I mean, and so, you know, somebody sees that like, oh, I know this guy from here and, you know, connecting, you know, I've met men from around Tennessee that I never would have known just because they liked something or shared something from dad to steal and reached out to me like, hey, man, you know, I live an hour away. So it's very organic in how, you know, all these dads and all these good examples of what a what a dad should be just have, have come together over over time. And the group is specifically for bereaved fathers or? Right. So, yeah. So dads of steel, you know, as a whole is, is for any dad, you know, any dad and, and all those, but as, as dad is, dads of steel grief support, you know, we've focused on, you know, dads that have lost a child. Gotcha. So, so and, you're a group you know, which, within the nonprofit. Yeah. So we're, Makes you know, sense. the, the big umbrella is dads of steel and we're, we're just a, you know, our first little pod of the things that dads of steel wants to support. You know, because they want to support, you know, young fathers and single fathers and, you know, you know, anything and anybody that, is, that needs that. But, you know, we found a group of men you know, from Chicago. We have a guy from Florida. We um, have a guy, Robert, from the Netherlands um, that, that wow. joins us every. And you know, I, I say he's a, he's our international liaison. We like to say Robert is our. <laughs> is our man over there, but he found us the same way. He was looking, he connected Dave through social media and said, Hey, you know, I lost my son, um, Arthur and, and, uh, I just like to talk with you. And so he joins in to our groups and, you know, it, it's, it's great. So that's great. It's so important, you know, because I feel like for women, it's, there's a lot of mom groups and women groups. So to, to know that this is out there, I just, it's it's wonderful, you know, that there's support for dads going through grief and bereaved parents, but also the bigger organization. It's like there's something, you know, for you guys. Oh. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's the big thing is, you know, I've talked with a lot of mom, you know, a lot of the mom groups and said, you know, if you if you see a, a mom that's like I'm having some, you know, whether it's a relationship issue or whether they just don't know how to talk to their husband about things, he's probably going through what we did and he's probably you know, he's probably dealing with it the same way that we all, you know, our group that, that meets on Sundays the same way we did. But like we were, we didn't have anybody to talk to about it. So who do we take it out on? The person that's the closest to us. And, yeah. you know, by, that just happened. So, you know, I've, we're hoping that, you know, I know we want to connect with dads, but I hope we connect with those mom groups too to show them that, hey, if you need us, we're here for you too so that we can help know however we can yeah can you share one of the moments of a breakthrough either yours or a, a member that you've experienced uh, you know mine that is i mean you know mine i think you know i, I just talked about robert a second ago I, I like to tell robert all the time and he, he gets mad at me because i put a lot on him but you know how he has dealt with his grief and how you know over overseas and Europeans, how they deal with things versus how we do is a, is a little bit different. And it happens about every Sunday. We'll talk about, you know, how we sort of structure our group is, you know, we talk about each other's weeks, like did you know, everything go good, bad, what's going great. Did anything cause you a problem? Is there anything you want to talk about? And then we, we, you know, we talk about a subject. So, you know, right now we're talking about like friends and dealing with friends and we'll share stories and, hearing his perspective on how we handled something or I'll even say, Robert, how should I have handled that? 
and he'll tell us and you I could show you notebooks full of notes that I've taken like man I wish I'd have known that or I wish I'd have said that I mean that happens weekly and you know all the other men sharing and you know everybody's at a different stage of their grief because we have everybody that's you know our guy down in Florida you know lost his daughter to cancer too and he's newer in grief than we are so we're being able to help him through some of the situations but then some of those that are farther out you know have forgotten some things that have happened and they're like oh i didn't even think about you know bringing that back up or making sure i'm dealing with those things you know one thing that happened with me was we were talking about a friend group and my friend group completely changed after penelope died and you know that was those friends that were there during her last days and things they were there and supported me you know to the an amazing amount and did things that, you know, they went far and beyond, but afterwards, you know, grief changes you as a person. I needed different things. I needed different supports and we just drifted our different ways and, you know, not good, bad or otherwise, but that, that bothered me a little bit that I didn't have those friends anymore. And I thought I was the only one that went through that until I talked to those and everybody's like, Oh, I have guys I don't even talk to anymore. And one of the guys was like, I sat my friends down and talked to them. And I was like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I just talk to my guy, you know, my friends? And maybe that would have saved a relationship or two. Maybe it wouldn't have. You know, I don't know. But I learned that from him, you know, that communication that we talk about needs to happen between husband and wife. It's got to happen between friends, too. And it doesn't, especially with men, because, like I said, what are we doing? We're trying to stay busy, go watch sports, go do this, go work out, go run. But there's no communication about why we're going to work out or why we're going to run. How you or, feel and this and that. Yeah. Right. So it's and like those friends reminded you of where you were at that time in your life. Um, and so maybe that association, they became associated with that pain. And so it was easier to just kind of, instead of talking it out and processing it to just kind of move right. forward. Yeah, and, and, you know, and their lives were still going on. You know, my world stopped when Penelope died. Yeah. And theirs just kept going. And there was, you know, there's all that little resentment, like, well, why didn't your world stop? Oh, you man. know, cause we think that. We don't say it, and I'm not mad at them that they still live their life. But, you know, it's like, how? but I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to look them in the eye and say, man, you know, I'm mad because mm-hmm. you get to do these things and I don't we just didn't talk about it and therefore we just drifted apart and well then you may even feel bad for thinking that yeah and you're oh, like, oh I was gosh like, i'm a horrible person and then yeah. i'll just yeah and you're and not you, just, you feel bad about not going to a birthday party you know yeah. like i you know one of my best friends he has a daughter that's close to penelope's age and it was hard for me to like celebrate her and i didn't say that for a while and i feel i felt awful about it i felt terrible that i didn't go to her birthday parties or didn't say happy birthday, but I couldn't mm-hmm. like, I physically could not do it. But one day I just told him, I was like, man, that's hard for me. And he was like, I appreciate you. Cause I was wondering, cause it was eating at him too. Mm-hmm. He, he felt he, he was like, I didn't want to keep inviting you, but I did. And I didn't know what to say or, and we just talked about it. And, you know, we're, you know, it's like, whew. That that we're good. That, yeah, we're good. We're, we're good now. And I was like, and why? Like, did there's I... no fixing it. Right. Right. No it's fixing just, it. It's just awkward. Just... And you want it to be better. Yeah. And it's your buddy. Well, it was courageous it, of you to say something because it's, it's not easy. But sometimes just taking that uh, step and talking is having uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, and, and understanding, and as a man, you know, yeah. we don't want to do that. And that's what Robert tells us. He's like, you've got to take control and you've got to do it. And, you know, that's how he handles it. He's like, huh? I just talk about it and we just, we go from there. And if it's uncomfortable for them, then, you know, that at least we know. At least, you know, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and they know, and they know that, you know, that's a trigger for me or that's something I can't deal with. And, and we can move on. You know, I said, we can move forward from this point, but if you don't have those conversations, then you're never going to move forward. An uncomfortable conversation is really quite temporary compared to a lifetime of resentment. Right. Because mm-hmm. then, yeah. yeah, then we're, you know, we're going to see each other. We're going to be friends. Now, what are we going to, it's going to be either great and we can, you know, be part of each other's lives or 
yeah, it can be just awful. (laughs) The elephant in the room. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's a man. I bet there's so many people that are like, oh, okay. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like that every Sunday when we talk about something, like we'll just talk about it. I'm like, man, how did, you know, why did I think I was the only one going through that? And, And every other man that's sitting there is like, I felt the same way, dude. And like I said, they, they say, I understand. Like, I don't have to explain it because they, they get it. They get mm. it. And we can, and we can, like I said, and we can just together try to try to, if we can't fix it, we can at least make it better for the next time. Or if we come across another, you know, newly bereaved father, we can, you know, set him up and say, Hey, this might be something you want to talk about when you're ready. Mm. And he doesn't have to go through that anymore where we did. So sounds like you all are really building a a beautiful community then you know just to talk and support each other yeah and it's and it's a safe space in a way maybe right you know we say four dads by dad you know because like i said we're not professionals and you know i've had like i said i've had training with saint jude and i know how these things you know look for red flags if if a guy's really hurting or something or you know we need to talk further but you know it's just a bunch of dads talking and they get each other and don't have to explain that so you know, I think we, we feel good about sharing and not holding back because, you know, if you you got to say it how you got to say it and you might say it differently to somebody else and it might not get the same result as it would. Like it's a safe place to practice and to be right. honest. Right. Honesty is really the the foundation to any type of recovery and getting better. And like if you don't if you can't feel honest or safe to be honest in a group, then what's the point? Right. It's, it, it right. does need to be a safe place where you can kind of have a trial run with conversations and thoughts. Yeah. And, and you know, we bounce things off each other. Like, did it, you know, I'll say, do y'all think I handled that right? And, you know, somebody might say yes. And somebody's like, eh, yeah. you know, maybe not. Yeah. And, but that's okay. But I feel okay asking. Yeah. Like you said, I feel okay asking another guy that's been through this what he thinks. And, sure. you know, some some days I use it. Some days I'm like, well, okay, but we all we all feel comfortable doing that. That's so beautiful. I'm so grateful that you're that you you host it, right? Is, do you have a co-facilitator, or you're you're running the show, really? So yeah, so I come, you know, I, I handle the emails and the Zoom invites mm-hmm. and, and everything. You know, I'm the I'm the bereavement director, which is like I said, I, I'm the guy that hosts the Zoom. That's about it, you know, and try to reach out to people, but you know, like I said, we all, we all have a part, you know, mm-hmm. if you feel like talking, if you have something you really want to talk about, that's what we talk about. And, and if you want to join and just listen, you know, maybe a dad sitting here listening to this, like, you know, that might be good, but I don't really want to talk. We have guys that, you know, just join, they don't even turn their camera on, they're doing other things and they just listen to what we're wow, saying. And if yeah. they feel like, you know, if they feel like sharing, they can share. And if they don't, you know, we've had guys that have been in there and, you know, just listen the whole time and said, man, you know, appreciate it. I'll see y'all next week. And if that's what they need, then that's what they're here for. You know, do you have fathers with a, a, um, adult children or is it more for younger children? Uh, we, right now we have mostly younger children. We've had, we, we have a couple guys that have had like up into the teenagers, you know, that 10 to, to 15, not anybody that's lost an adult child, you know, okay. but, but I think too, you know, Losing the child's losing the child. Right. So right. no matter how old they were, you're still going through these things because that loss is still loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's what, you know, it might, like I said, the, the story, the narrative might be different, but the end result is all the same. And the, we're going through these same things. And, you know, you might resonate in one story, you might resonate in another, but you know, we're here for them all. Okay. That's good. All connected. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's honest, Andy, it's so uh, admirable, courageous, and honestly amazing, I would say, just the, the fact that you've taken your pain and your adversity of um, losing Penelope and, and doing what you're doing. I mean, it's just so admirable, and I appreciate you being You could have chosen here. anger. Yeah. You could have I'm, chosen I'm in anger. Awe. I'm sitting here like, wow, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, you're a football player. Yeah. Aren't you supposed to, like... Right. Yeah, charge at things and be angry. And- I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying I didn't break a few things here and there. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that I, I've. I've been like this, but you know, I, I've learned that. 
I can't be me unless I get these things out and, and mm. work through these things because I wasn't me for a long time. And like, you know, like I put in my book and the things I was going through, you know, I thought drinking was okay. You know, I thought that was going to help it out. Obviously I just woke up with a, hum- a hangover and those same feelings. Mm. And I put that out there because I don't want to hide that. You know, that was part of my grief journey is learning that that's not how I needed to deal with it. And, that's not how you need to deal with it because those feelings are still there. It's not doing anything to them. And, but like, you know, where I am now is where being able to share these things and I'm still learning, I still learn every day. And every time we meet, you know, I'm learning something, a different little piece that I could add to my journey to make it a little bit better. So that's what helps me. And, you know, I, sure. I, I know the guys that, that get to share and share those thoughts and feelings, you know, we talk about, it's like a reset we hold in all these things that we can't talk about to other people all week. We, we get it out to each other and Hey, we're good to go for another week. You know, so. <laughs> yep. Just vent it out and see you next yeah, yeah, you, Virtually yeah, at least you, for now. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. vent it out to some, you know, you, you sound crazy to some people that haven't been through this mm-hmm. and now you're, if we get it and we're like, yeah, man, you're good. So. So to our listeners, they can find you. Your Instagram is at, at Dads of Steel, or what, what's the handle? You want to uh, plug away at, a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little, little plug. So it's at DOS Grief Support. And like in you know, Instagram, you can search Dads of Steel Grief Support, and that will come up. And it's Steel, um, S-T-E-E-L-E. Yes. Yeah, so add an, add an E to the L. So that's Dave's last name um, is Dave Steele. So, you know, Dads of Steel is on Instagram as well, you know, and you can – find links to dads of steel grief support um through that you know we have a website at dads of steel um dot org and then we have a grieving dads tab that we're starting to build up in the summer we'll have a lot more resources and things and and going from there but my you know my email is andy at dads of steel.com and you know that's an easy way just to reach out and you know i can link that uh google form if somebody needs it but you know sometimes it's just a quick email and say hey give me a call that's what I'm here for. Easy enough to, to find Easy you enough. out there. Yeah. yeah. If you had one last words of wis- words of wisdom to say to a bereaved papa, mama, like what would you say right now to anyone listening? Communication is hard, but it's the only way we're going to get through this. And you have to learn to talk to yourself. You got to learn to listen to yourself. And, but that's only going to get you so far. And when you find those people that understand you, whether it's a bereaved dad like me talking to another bereaved dad or a bereaved mom talking to another bereaved mom, you know, this is not a club that anybody wants to be a part of. But once you're here, you know, I want you to know you're not alone. You feel alone a lot of the times, and especially as a man, but there's people out here who want to help. And once you find those people, you're going to learn to live that new normal a little bit better. We don't have all the answers, but together we can figure those answers out a whole lot easier and learn to navigate this world together. Whereas alone, you know, we're probably not going to get very far and, and I didn't alone. So that's why I seek you know, sought out some of these people and I want to be that person for that dad that's out there. Thank you. Thank you for sharing and thank you for showing up today and sharing your story. Yeah. I appreciate you all. Like I said, I'm, I'm honored anytime I get to be Penelope's dad and and share a little bit of our story and her name. And, you know, now she gets to be part of your all story just a little bit here and there. And, and to me, that's, you know, that's the most powerful thing and puts a smile on my face every time I get to do it. So, you know, what you all are doing is amazing. And I can only hope that whoever's listening, you know, finds that person or that group that that helps them, you know, through this world that we we have to live in. So, Well, folks, that wraps up episode 16 of Portraits of Grief podcast. Thanks again to our special guest, Andy McCall, who joined us today. Um, just really grateful to have you here, Andy, again, and, and share more about your story, about your beautiful daughter, Penelope, and the work you are doing with Dads of Steel nonprofit, as well as being a parent advisor with St. Jude's. Check out Andy on his Instagram 
at Dads of Steel, S-T-E-E-L-E, Grief Support. And um, again, thanks for tuning in. Wherever you are in your day, your night, your evening, your morning, we hope that you are um, feeling encouraged from these podcasts and also gaining insight and just feeling a little bit more connected in your grief. Talk soon. The music in this episode is courtesy of Zapslat. <laughs>